A couple years ago, I did get to experience what districts was like for the first time, and it blew my mind. The amount of people, the energy, you just felt so loved. I've been coming here for three years and each year I always learn something new. I have not been the same since. It felt like the person who was speaking was speaking right to me and it was the most amazing experience that I've ever had. And I'm starting to speak to God and God's starting to speak to me. And that's mainly what this trip is about. I came in and I met so many people and I just think it's cool that everyone can just be themselves here and express themselves. I was struggling with a lot of different things, but when I came to districts, I found out that a lot of people struggle with so many different things and I'm not alone. When I come here and I see the primetime rallies and like the rooms full of people, and I just feel so loved and I feel like I belong. And just every year that I come, I learn more about God and I grow closer to Him. It's not an accident. God has everyone here for a reason. I want to figure out what that is. So Districts is more than a conference. Um, it's a catalyst for a lot of our students. The, the common story I hear from students who attend Districts, regardless of what church they go to and the free church is, it's a weekend and an opportunity for God um, to disrupt our students' lives. Our students are living in a world where uh, there's so many things distracting them um, from I, what I would say what really matters. So it's an opportunity for Jesus to intersect in their world and to impact them in a way that uh, is not you know, part of their normal routine. And so it's a catalyst. So we see students who come to Christ for the first time, who are encouraged to keep living for Christ. In fact, I know I have volunteers in our student ministry that God touched their lives when they were uh, students in districts. So it's just an opportunity for our students just to encounter God uh, in a real and in a vibrant way. So just for a moment, we're going to chat about credentialing. And that's one of the things that I get to do uh, in serving the district. And so for those of you, give me a wave if you were at EFCA 1 in Chicagoland this past summer. Yeah, a lot of us were there. We heard from Kevin Complin there a charge, a challenge, an encouragement to, to pursue credentialing. And so for some of us, if, you are, if, you're, if you've never done that, you've never explored what credentialing is all about, that is a, a step that you can take. Part of the purpose of it is accountability. And part of the purpose of it is also affirmation and encouragement. We really want the process of you pursuing a credential and writing a paper and sitting for a council. We want that whole process to be encouraging and affirming to you as a leader as you're praying and as you're opening up God's word. We're praying that you would encounter the Holy Spirit there in wonderful ways. And then we have three uh, different DBOMS councils, which are District Board of Ministerial Standing Councils. Uh, three councils that meet each at two different times throughout the year, so six council opportunities each year. And for men and women that are serving in ministry, we would love to, to encourage you in that process. So if you have questions about that, again, if you've never done this kind of credentialing thing before, then your first step would be a ministry license. 
And if you are already ordained with maybe another ministry that you previously served with, there may be an opportunity even for you to do a transfer of ordination. So let's chat. Again, we're, we're here to encourage you and support you in the work that you're doing for our Lord Jesus and the disciple-making work of your local church. And again, we're, we're praying that credentialing would be another resource, another asset that as a district we can provide to be a blessing to you in the work you're doing. So let's chat. Any questions? We, we love questions. Bless you all. Hello, FLD. I have one verse I want to share with you. This big paper thing that I have, by the way, is a Bible. We use real paper ones in Wisconsin Rapids. But we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I just wanted to share the FLD staff, which I get to be a part of, we do not see you as serving us. We don't see you as being there to make us successful. We're here to make you successful, and that's really our joy. So we will do anything but sin to, to help you succeed in your ministries. My particular area is church health, pastoral leadership, church effectiveness, and there are a number of things that I get to do in this role to help you to have an effective church led by a healthy, effective pastor. The details are on the website. If you want to take a look at the church health section of the website, all the details on what I'd love to do for you are on there. Uh, but I just want to mention two things. One would be the tools groups. Tools groups are leadership training groups for pastors where we meet once a month for about 10 months and really get stretched into more effective leaders. So I was uh, like a lot of people, especially in, in my day, we did not learn leadership in seminary or college at all. We've had to learn it since. And I want to help you to become a strong, effective leader so you can have a strong, effective church. And I'd love to talk to you about tools groups. The other thing I want to mention that I would love to do with you is I'd love to serve you food. One of the most enjoyable things, or probably the most enjoyable thing I've been able to do in this role is to do long breakfasts, coffees, lunches with many of our senior pastors, senior and solo pastors. And it's been just such a joy for me. I've been so blessed by you. I've been so impressed by you. And uh, for those of you I have not yet gotten together with, I want to. And if I'm coming to your part of the state and I'm trying to track you down, try to squeeze me into your schedule because I'd love to spend some time with you. So Pastor Mike, if you want to come again and we're going to pray and I'll lead us in prayer as Pastor Mike comes. So Father, we thank you for this great day that we've had together. Thank you for our fellowship in you. Thank you for giving us the privilege of serving you and preaching Christ, <laughs> preaching your word, building the kingdom. What a joy and a privilege you have given to us. Thank you for Pastor Mike and the blessing that he has been to us today. And we pray that you would anoint his teaching again so that it changes our hearts, lives, and ministries. In Jesus' name we pray. We come to our final session today. It goes by quickly, doesn't it? Um, and I want to just take a moment to at least uh, communicate, try to communicate what a privilege this has been to be with you 
uh, today. I've had a chance to see some old friends and um, some former students and some former colleagues and then to meet um, some new friends. It's been just a wonderful, um, it's been a wonderful privilege to be with you, so thank you. I feel like I've eaten my weight in breath mints, um, <laughs> just trying to serve you. So um, looking forward to a little bit more healthy uh, supper on the way home. So um, let me pray, and then we'll get to this last session. Did you just pray, Brian? You just, did, you just prayed, didn't you? All right. Let's count that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Now you're starting to question, uh, <laughs> did you just pray? All right, here we come to the last session. Once again, just a reminder for those of you who are with us early this morning, Gospel Foundation, Functional Centrality of the Gospel, our first session when we were all together here, the power and sufficiency of the word in the life of the church, the second footing for our discipleship. Gospel-grounded, word-grounded. Gospel-fueled, word-fueled. But on that foundation, we now uh, erect this thing that Jesus has called us to of discipleship. That banner of discipleship, which includes both being a disciple, following Jesus, and making disciples, which is what we want to talk about now in this last session. In John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there is this famous scene when Christian finds himself walking into a dark valley. Uh, his fear as he approaches the valley is dramatically increased when two men come running back past him shouting, back, go back. That valley is as black as pitch this is none other than the valley of the shadow of death, they scream as they run by him. Christian replies, but there's no other way to the celestial city. But they continue to run back the other way. And Christian went forward, slowly and carefully, for the path was as Bunyan tells us, exceedingly narrow. Before long, he was beset by all sorts of evil thoughts, even evil thoughts intruding themselves on his mind. But as he is despairing and about to give up, I quote, at that moment, he thought he heard the voice of someone else before him speaking to God. Immediately, Christian took courage, and Bunyan tells us, for three reasons. First, he gathered from this, from this that there were in the valley others who feared God beside himself. And second, he perceived that God was with them, and if with them, why not with him? And third, he hoped to overtake them and have their company. It is, I think, a beautiful picture, a beautiful example of someone a little further along the path having an effect on a Christian disciple, encouraging him, strengthening him to keep following Jesus. And the question is, 
How might that happen in your life and in your ministry and mine? So the church where I pastor was planted 20 years ago now, and right from the start, we wanted to establish the church in certain biblical values. We call them our defining values, the glory of God as our highest aim, the functional centrality of the gospel, a wholehearted love for God, the importance and profitability of sound doctrine, the necessity of pursuing sanctification, the active presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that got emphasized a lot in our early years was the importance of, wasn't one of our key defining values, but it was part of our life. It was biblical manhood and womanhood. The importance of men leading in their homes and in the church. Not in some macho way, certainly not in some chauvinistic way, but in a Christ-like way where the people around them would flourish. But the question is, how is that kind of thing going to happen and how is it going to be sustained? Now, my purpose here is not to focus exclusively on men. What I said a moment ago about men applies to everybody in your church. There needs to be discipleship among our men and among our women. I'm just describing something that we paid particular attention to. How's it going to happen? And it's really important that it does happen. I believe with all my heart that if we're going to have spiritually healthy homes and spiritually healthy churches, we need a large group, a high percentage of spiritually healthy people. And that's not just kind of a practical leadership conviction. That's a biblical conviction. So how's it going to happen? How might that happen in your life, in your pastoral ministry, in your leadership, whatever form it takes? Well, I want in this session to do my best to provide something of an answer to that question. I want to begin to answer that question by making a claim that I trust you will find it very easy to agree with. Here's the claim. The main thing for a Christian, man or woman, is to be in real relationship with God and giving top priority to that relationship. You agree? Amen. The main thing for a Christian is to be in real relationship with God and giving top priority to that relationship. What does the prophet Jeremiah say? Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The main thing for a Christian is to be in real relationship with God and giving top priority to that relationship. I mean, we see that exemplified in so many people in the Bible. In Noah, who walked with God. In Abraham, who was called a friend of God. In Moses, with whom God spoke as a friend, in Samuel, in David, who was a man after God's own heart, in Job, who was upright and who feared God. And we see this taught in so many places in the Bible. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. In fact, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So God's word calls us to make God the dominant reality in our lives. We are called to be God-word, God-oriented, God-focused people. 
the main thing for you as a Christian and for the people in your church who are believers is to be in real relationship with God and giving top priority to that relationship. Now, how does that happen? How does that come about? Well, as you read the Bible and as you watch how God works in history, three things emerge with amazing consistency. Communion with God, especially via his word. Being among God's covenant people and connection with other God-focused individuals. Those are things that the Holy Spirit uses to cultivate this reality of our relationship with God and our giving top priority to it. We, we had a conversation recently with a group of about 20 men at our church, and I had asked them the question, what do you need in order to develop as a follower of Jesus? And I was not totally surprised, but it did strike me how consistently two things got named. I need the word. I've got to have the word coming in and abiding, and second, I need connectedness with other men, other Christian men, some of them ahead of me, some of them alongside of me, and it's that second thing that got named that I want to give some particular attention to in this last session, the importance of purposefully connecting with other individuals to encourage them and equip them in their relating to God and their following of Christ. We're talking here about disciple-making as part of your life, and ministry. You're a disciple first, but you're also a pastor, a ministry leader. What might your engagement in disciple making look like? So basically what we're talking about when we talk about disciple making, we're talking about Christians helping other Christians become more Christ-like. You're helping someone, remember our definition from the previous session, you're helping someone love Jesus more and form their lives around Jesus more and join in Jesus' mission more fully. That's what disciple-making is. This is something we should be personally engaged in as pastors, but we also want to be looking to create a culture of this kind of disciple-making in our churches. It's a big part of our role as shepherds. It's a big part of how we bring people into maturity in Christ, which is the goal of our pastoral ministry. So what I want to think about in this session is how we might do that, how we might carry this out in our pastoral ministry, in our ministry, whatever form it takes, which will, by the way, greatly strengthen your church. Listen, if, we, if we're all doing, if all we're doing is kind of being busy trying to build the programs of our church, we might not be making disciples. But if we engage in disciple-making, we will inevitably be building the church. Now, I know there's a tension probably in every one of our stomachs right now. You, you might be saying like, okay, we know, we know, we know. We've heard this. This is important. We should be doing something here. But we think about our schedules. And we can't help but ask the question, who has time for this? Who has time for another thing? So I'm going to do my best to be very helpful and modest and methodical here 
even at the risk of sounding reductionistic or oversimplifying, but I want to suggest five goals or five objectives. There is a sequence to them, and so I suppose we could call them steps, although there is something in me that is resistant to naming them as steps. I just don't want this session to sound like five easy steps to disciple-making in your pastoral ministry. But from some going through this as a church, and more importantly, from some feeling of the pressure of biblical principles, let me offer these five sequential objectives in terms of your disciple-making. Let me name them, and then we'll trace through them one at a time. Number one, get yourself envisioned. Get yourself envisioned, and there I feel the pressure of verses like study to show yourself approved. Find out what the Bible says about this. Second, engage yourself in disciple-making. There I feel the pressure of verses like lead by example to say nothing about the instruction to make disciples. Third, envision others. Here I feel the pressure of instructions like teach. Fourth, equip others. Here I feel the pressure of biblical instructions like train. And fifth, facilitate disciple-making in your church. And here I feel the pressure of biblical instructions like oversee, manage. So five steps, get yourself envisioned, engage yourself in disciple-making, envision others, equip others, and then facilitate. So first, get yourself envisioned. Another way to say this is get a conviction on this, on the importance of disciple-making to your pastoral ministry. Certainly Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 is a good place to go and not just read, but understand and get conviction from. It tells us what the goal of our shepherding should be. But I find these words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, probably the most compelling to me about my responsibility before God it helps me to get envisioned. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul, Paul has just been telling Timothy, you remember the context here, right? He's just been telling Timothy, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. And then just a few verses later, Picking up some of the very same language, he says, and what you've received from me, entrust that to other men. Now, I take from that connection the conviction that necessary to faithful gospel ministry is the transference of what we have to other men. In other words, an essential part of faithful gospel ministry is your disciple-making. I don't know about you, but with the challenges and the weight of pastoral ministry, sometimes I can just think, Lord, just help me to be faithful to the end. Just help me make it to the end without messing up. But Paul will not let us reduce faithfulness to that. He says, no, you guard that good deposit, not just by protecting its integrity during your years, you also guard it 
by fighting to preserve its continuity beyond your years into the next generation and the next generation after that. And you do that by investing yourself in your word ministry and in your life in specific other individuals. So you read stuff like that in your Bible and then you ask, how is discipleship or disciple making happening in my ministry and in the ministries of the church? Where is that happening? How can it be strengthened? So let me, let me just give you a few concrete suggestions. This is probably the most concrete of the talks that we're gonna do today. I'm always a little reluctant with this kind of thing because I just don't want this to be reduced to kind of things to do, but at the same time, at some point, this has got to translate into things to do. So let me give you a few concrete suggestions to help you in this envisioning of yourself, this getting of a conviction. First, read a book. Let me mention three possibilities. Now, before I mention them, May I just say the purpose of reading, at least in this kind of area, is not to get all the answers. The purpose of reading is to stimulate your thinking about the topic and to stir up conviction. So read something. Here's three books, just part of a recent conversation that is going on. I mentioned these before. Randy Pope has a book called Insourcing. It's very stimulating. Mike Breen has a book called Creating Discipleship, a Discipling Culture. Um, you know the Nine Marks um, books, the little Nine Marks books? I, th I, I can't even remember exactly what the title is, but Mark Dever has a book in that series. I think it's just called Discipling. Discipling. It's a great little book. It's the kind of book you can easily put in the hands of other people and, in fact, converse about it. Don't feel like you need to read everything out there. This is one of the mistakes that pastors can make. I gotta collect 19 books on discipleship. Just read something. You won't agree with everything you read. That's not the point. The point is to stimulate you. That's the effect that these books have had on me. That's why I'm recommending them to you. Um, one other resource, by the way, the Nine Marks puts together these e-journals um, October of 2012, they put a very stimulating collection of articles on discipleship together. It's great. Read it. So, first concrete suggestion, read a book. Second, start a conversation with your key leaders. Maybe read that book together. Buy three or six or however many copies you need to of Mark Dever's book and say, next month we're going to read this and then we're going to get together and we're going to talk about this. Or maybe just photocopy one chapter, one really stimulating chapter out of a book and say, let's read this together. Begin a conversation. Ask the question, is this happening in our church? How might it happen in our church? Then third, begin to pray. Listen, brothers and sisters, do not neglect this. If anything happens here in our churches, it will, because, it will be because God's doing something. So that's objective number one. Get yourself envisioned about disciple-making. Second, objective number two, engage in disciple-making personally. Engage in disciple-making personally. Take a step. Begin. A step of boldness has genius in it. 
I think that's Goethe. It's in the very going forth that God will meet you. That's J.C. Ryle. I'm just trying to inspire you a little bit. This step is primarily about you discipling, but it will be seed in your church towards something bigger than just you discipling an individual or a set of individuals. Randy Pope says at one point in his book, if you want to seed discipleship into the soil of your church, all you need is one group. And I would add that group can be as small as two. In fact, Pope regularly encourages us to start small. Great leaders start small. Be purposefully slow. Be purposefully deliberate. Now, I'm not going to say much here about being an example I argued in the first session the importance of being a disciple and how God will leverage that in other people's lives. And there will also be the exemplary effect of you being a disciple maker to those who are discipling, certainly, but also to others around you. But you're not doing this primarily to be an example. God will use that in that way if he, if he wants to. So being an example of a disciple maker is not your primary purpose. It's a result of what you do. The fact is your engagement will have an effect. It will give vision and attractiveness to disciple making, but your primary reason to do this is to make a disciple. So let me encourage you to take this concrete step. Pray and see who God lays on your heart. It's surprising to me how infrequently people actually do this actually dedicate to pray and say, God, I think I should be doing this. Can you lead me in my thoughts and in my heart to someone? I think this is the best use of the church directory there is. Go through your directory and pray, God, who is it that maybe you've already providentially connected me with or who is it that you've put on my heart for some reason? And then invite that person or those persons to meet. Just say, hey, can we go out for coffee? It's that simple. Now, what will you do when now you're sitting at the table and you've invited them out for coffee and they're looking at you like, so? <laughs> well, there's any number of ways you could spend an hour or so together each week. Uh, if you read through that Nine Marks e-journal, you will not lack for suggestions about how to use that hour every week. But let me just suggest three simple components. Word, life, prayer. Somehow be in the Word together. Either read the word together. David Helm has a wonderful book called One-on-One -on -One Reading. Um, or maybe you're sharing out of your life in the word. Or maybe one of the things I've done with guys in the past is we memorize scripture together. Memorize the word. So word, life, share life, speak about matters of living the Christian life. Open your heart to one another. And then pray. Pray for each other. And maybe include praying for others. Word, life, prayer. It's a great way to spend an hour with somebody. So second objective, engage personally in disciple-making and give it some time. Number three, third. Third objective, envision others. Pastors, ministry leaders, envision others. Envision your people. Begin to help people see that this is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ 
me being a disciple at some point is going to include me making, a, making others disciples as part of being a disciple. Help people see that. Following him means helping others follow him. So envision them for that idea. Help them to see discipleship biblically and fully. I can think of two specific lines along which you will want to envision your people. One positive, one negative. First, positively. Speak of the goodness and the importance of discipleship-oriented relationships. It could be relationships of intentional discipling and mentoring, investing pretty much one directionally, though it's, you know this, it's never one directional. <laughs> but it could also be relationships of what, what we might call mutual encouragement. I get that phrase from something that Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 1. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. So it could look like that. There's all this one anothering in the New Testament. This is, this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, so whether it's this more intentional discipling or more like mutual encouragement, envision your folks to think in terms of discipleship-oriented relationships or a discipleship-oriented uh, orientation in their relationships. Help, helping one another follow Christ. It's interesting, we, we took a survey not too long ago at a large group men's gathering, and we asked them three questions. Here was the first question. Which discipleship-centered relationship is most appropriate to your life stage right now? And we gave them three options, a discipling relationship as a mentor, a discipling relationship as the one being mentored, or a relationship of mutual encouragement. Um, it was amazing to us when we saw the results. 50% said mutual encouragement, 25% said discipling relationship as a, as a mentor, 25% said discipling relationship as one being discipled. Do you see the math there? We felt like, let's just get everybody in a room together. And you mutual encouragement guys, find someone in your group, and you 25% and you 25% get together because 25% of you wanted a mentor and 25% of you wanted to be a mentor. So go at it. Um, it's remarkable. It made us just really want to do something concrete um, to help them, to envision them for what they all sensed they wanted. That's, that's a positive way to envision them, to help them to, to think of all of their relationships with a discipleship kind of orientation. There's a second, more negative line along which I think you need to do some envisioning, and that is addressing <laughs> and confronting objections and obstacles. I'm going to invite you to take some kind of close notes here because there are some internal obstacles that you're going to have to confront, two of them, and there's some external obstacles you're going to have to confront. There's two of them, and I've got names for each of these. 
the first internal obstacle we can call the, the INWALT syndrome, I-N-W-L-T. That stands for, I'm not wired like that. I-N-W-L-T. You know what? Not everyone is wired to gravitate toward relationships and connections like this. And so some can think, you know, this discipleship-centered relationship is for people who are wired in a certain way. I think we need to confront that. I mean, first of all, even if you're not wired like this, none of us is wired for isolation. It is not good for man to be alone. And we also need this because we need it for help and for growth. We're going to need to help people get over the Inwalt syndrome and not let ourselves get away with that. I'm not wired like that. A second internal obstacle we can call the, <laughs> sorry about this, the Idhato syndrome. Preach it. Preach it. <laughs> I-D-H-A-T-O. I-D-H-A-T-O. Anyone want to take a shot? That stands for I don't have anything to offer. And of course, that's not true. And I'm not just saying that as some rah-rah statement. It's just a description of reality. We all have our presence to offer, and we can all direct others to God. You don't have to be a charismatic, kind of dynamic, and extroverted guy. You can be boring and faithful, and that's just fine. We need to help people see that there's no need for power leadership or eloquence when you invest in someone. Just get together, get some coffee, and ask one another a real question and read the Bible together. Help your people put idato to death. And then there's some external obstacles to investing in disciple-making. First, the... <laughs> Get at tat syndrome. You ready? I D H A T F A T. I D H A T F A T. I D hat fat, which stands for I don't have any time for all this. Amen. So think about. I mean, just think about it when someone says something like that. As soon as someone says something like that, they're making a value judgment about this compared to other things that they do have time for. And saying that being in a relationship like this doesn't really rise to the level of importance as other things, I mean, we need to gently challenge that. We need to say, okay, well, let's look at your life and the other things you are doing because what I'd say is helping one another grow in following Jesus, I mean, that just feels like it should be pretty high up on the priority list. So let's help ourselves and let's help others by thinking not first about schedules, but thinking first about priorities. I mean, we all recognize time is a limited commodity. It's very precious. Life is full. We've got, I mean, every one of us could make our list. And we're supposed to add getting with a guy or two once a week or even once every other week? Are you kidding me? The answer to that when someone says that to you is, oh, sorry, I should have known better than to ask you. The answer is, yeah, this is tough. 
So we're going to have to be committed to it and get creative and maybe make some adjustments to our schedule. Because it had fat is a syndrome, it's a disease, it's not good discipleship. Second external obstacle we'll need to address is the Eidhamel syndrome. I-D-H-A-I-M-L. I-D-H-A-I-M-L, which stands for I don't have anyone in my life. And the one thing I, I think we can say here is start with who already is in your life. The fact is there's people all over the place. We just need to envision men and women on where and how to look, and sometimes we'll need to come alongside them and help them make a connection. I mean, no doubt there's, there's more envisioning people than what I've just suggested, but we're going to need to address some objections, and we will need to help people think a certain way. And then, fourth, fourth objecti- objection, objective is equip them. Equip them. So you've just envisioned them. Now you've got to equip them. I'm just going to say a couple things here. Um, there will need to be training in this. And for the first kind of 10 years or so of our church life, we had this class called Leadership Development. Every year, we selected 20 guys. We put them in a room together. We met every other Saturday morning. We did that for 12 years. You do the math. That's equipping 240 guys over a space of 12 years. The only problem was is that it was limited to a classroom setting, and we realized that it wasn't really getting done. Um, We were forming guys in a certain way, but we weren't forming them as full disciples, so we shut that thing down, and we started rethinking that, and now we've got a thing called DT365, Discipleship Training. 365 means all the time, and we're doing it differently. Um, Yes, there's still some teaching, but now we've got a coach and a huddle with two or three people in that huddle, and there's a whole lot more of kind of personal development and personal investment, and we spend some time all together in a room, but we spend a lot more time in huddles. The best equipping is going to take place right in the context of your own disciple-making. As someone watches you life on life and learns from you, not just about how to pray and how to read God's Word and how to deal with sin, both before and after you sin, but also how to invest in other people. Kind of like what Jesus did with his disciples. So you're going to have to equip Now, fifth, fifth objective toward disciple-making in your pastoral ministry or in your ministry, whatever form it takes. You're going to have to facilitate. This has to do with organizing, administrating, providing structures and tracks in your church to encourage and enable disciple-making to happen. There is a danger here, of course, We don't ever want disciple-making to turn into just a program rather than a culture, a mindset, a heart set, a way of living. So having envisioned your people and having equipped your people growing out of your own being envisioned and your own exercise of disciple-making, now what you want to do together with the other leaders of your church is create opportunities and invite people to participate in a culture of disciple-making, disciple you, you need to provide some structure 
but not too much oversight. So whether it is, I mean, one guy calls these fight clubs, <laughs> or Randy Pope calls these life-on-life -life missional or um, missional discipleship groups, I think he calls them. Mike Breen calls his huddles, some other vehicle, whatever it might be. Again, don't be afraid to start with just one, maybe as a spinoff of what you have been doing yourself, but be ready to provide some guidance and some support, suggest a plan for them. They don't have to be flashy. Culture gets created by doing simple things repeatedly over time. I think that's a really important principle. Culture gets created by doing simple things repeatedly over time. So just think, word, life, prayer, very simple. Now let's replicate that. Let's multiply that out. This is where books like those ones that I mentioned to you can be helpful. They're just giving ideas. All right, let me wrap this up. I know this can feel daunting. I mean, it feels daunting to me. And I know that we're busy. Some of us, perhaps too busy, and we actually need to do something about that. But there is something that we cannot neglect here. Something grounded in Jesus, something grounded in God's word, essential to our own discipleship is making disciples. Essential to our pastoral ministry is equipping others and helping them to mature. All disciple making is an essential part of their discipleship. So if you have sensed today um, in our time together, if God's spirit has been stirring even a little bit, laying this on your heart even a little bit, um, maybe in fact this has been stirring already before you got here, maybe this is just bringing a greater measure of conviction or excitement or hope, then I would simply encourage you take the first step. I love that little quote of J.C. Ryle. It is in the very going forward that God will meet you. Where will God meet you? Two steps down the path of obedience. And watch him do something with your, your first step, your intentionality. And he will, as he loves to do, he will do much with your little loaves and fishes for the glory of his name and for the good of his church. Let me pray for you, and we'll be done. Father, thank you for our time together today. I pray that you would protect us. Um, you've said in your word that when words are many, sin is not absent. And I've spoken a lot of words today. And so God, I, I pray for your protection over both myself and over those of us who have been listening. And so we ask, guard our hearts against um, wrong responses to what we've heard. But then, Lord, I pray, would you motivate us and encourage us along a path of joyful obedience. I pray that you would help us to love the gospel with all our hearts. 
Help us to understand deeply what's been done for us in Christ. Thank you for all you are to us in Christ. And thank you for this precious book. I pray that we would love it and love it before our people and over our people in such a way that they are fed and drawn into communion and fellowship with you. And then, Lord, I pray, help us in our own following of Christ, in our own being of disciples. Pray that there would be an authenticity and an attractiveness about that. God, put that to use, we pray, for the good of others. And then help us, both in our own disciple-making and in our leading of our, of our churches or the people that we have influence over, pray that you would help us to help them be disciple-makers as well. God, we want to multiply. We want your kingdom to advance. We want your glory um, to be known by more people. And so we pray, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Three quick questions. Any any questions? Right over there. I'm curious, Mike, how does this play out for you in your own family? In my family? Yes. Um, well, Beverly and I have the joy now of seeing all three of our children as adults following Jesus. They're each of them. They're, I mean, you know this if you're a parent. Your kids are different. And so um, you got to let them kind of... Um, be who God's made them to be, but you want to encourage them to follow Jesus with all their hearts. So probably, I'll just mention one thing here. Probably the most important thing in terms of active, purposeful discipleship we did with our kids was to cultivate in them an independent life in the Word. And so when each one of them, this happens sooner for girls than it does for guys because girls mature more quickly than guys do. So when my daughters got to be seven-ish, when Graham got to be eight or nine-ish, um, I took them. I'd already developed a pattern of going on an overnight with them every year from the time they were three or four. There was an overnight with Daddy, either camping or going to a little resort place with a pool. Well, um, that was purposeful to build into what we knew was coming when they were seven, eight, and then 13 and 14 because it provides a great opportunity for Dad to um, do very specific, concrete things with them. And one of those things was was to begin them in the process of an independent life in the Word. So I bought them a journal, a nice journal. Uh, I wrote something in the front of it and just said, you know, we're going to start something that I trust is going to be part of your life for the rest of your life. And I um, taught them to kind of, you know, we, I started out with them um, reading together, but we read one chapter. We started in the Gospel of Mark. And then I said, you're going to write in your journal two sentences. The first sentence starts with God. The second sentence starts with I. And the, the reason for that is the Bible's primarily about God, but it calls us to respond. So they would just write two sentences, God or Jesus, thank you, that you are, I see that you are such and such. I want to respond in such and such a way. And then um, after I did that with them for a little while, then I let them loose, but I would always read that. And um, I would watch and see how God was developing in them their own love for the Lord and their own love for his word. And uh, it was just an exciting way to see them, to, to build into them. But also, here's a key thing. When that got started, I'm, I'm sitting next to them in the bed with my arm around them because I want them to associate their experience of the word with their father's love. Because when they're six or seven, they don't get God yet. 
They don't get God, but they get daddy. And so my job is to represent as best I can the affection and the covering and the love of God for them as they're now entering into this critical discipline of seeking to feed themselves on God through his word. I want my affection for them to be kind of wind in their sails. So there's all sorts of little things you can do. Obviously, they're on their own now, you know, in their life in the word, but that's something that Bev and I were very intentional about uh, early on. One thing. Thank yeah. you. Very vulnerable. Good. Very good. The question was, I mentioned that we had for 12 years done this discipleship, this leadership development with 20 guys in a classroom, and, his, and then we've, we've stopped that and we've gone to something else. His question was, would you have been able to go to this something else had you not first done this? And so I, I think that's an insightful question because you, you're never going to do this without some training, some instruction. It, it's absolutely important. Word matters. Um, but in doing that, we recognized that that kind of strictly classroom setting was insufficient. And that, that was a powerful lesson for us. I don't know if we would have learned it as strongly if we hadn't tried this other thing. We're a, a fairly heady church. And, you know, I'm, I used to be a seminary prof. Most of the guys on our team are seminary trained. We've got a couple PhDs on our team. And so one of the accusations we get is, I mean, you guys are just way too heady. And so we made the mistake of thinking, well, that's, that's how you make disciples. You know, you do this. And uh, it took us a little bit to learn um, that that's part of it, but it's not all of it. So I just look at that and think God was kind to us and brought us through a process of really seeing by experience that's not enough. Yeah, so there, there was more than just this thing with these 20 guys happening. There's also a group of guys who are on a track for pastoral leadership who would come to my home. We'd sit around the table. They'd see me and with my family. We'd talk about real-life issues. So we were doing better with that than we were with the guys, the men of our church. But we realized, hey, we need to be doing more of what we're doing over here with guys who aren't on a track of pastoral ministry. They're just on a track of leadership in the local church. We've got to be building into them in kind of the same way. So, yeah. Leland has our last question over here. Yeah, I'm just curious. You know, this has to be profound. It's a, it's a last question. <laughs> That's a great, thank you, great question. In fact, we were hearing from many women in our church, godly women, saying, where's our thing? Why is leadership development just for the guys? Now, we did that because of a conviction about leadership in the home and the church, but we never should have been exclusive like that. And in fact, now, our DT365 is not exclusively men. We're looking, we've got a group of uh, maybe 60 in that, in that room when we get all together, and at least a third of them are women. We want to make sure that there, we've got strong coaches, both women coaches and male coaches, to care for the people. And so not only are we trying to address the women of our church in that way, but we're trying to raise up female leaders to be the coaches of those cohorts, those huddles. So, yeah. You know, you, you learn, right? Um, none of us has arrived at perfection. So one of the things you got to do is you got to realize we're, we're going to get better at this. And, and God is so kind in his patience. We're going to get better at this. So if, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly at first. <laughs> you, you hear what I'm saying? 
we all have heard if it's, if it's worth doing, you've got to do it well. It's worth doing. It's worth doing poorly. Just get going. You can make mid-course adjustments, and you can get better at it. So get going. Yeah. Let me pray you, for you before yeah. we, mm -hmm. we, we have been ministered to well today, and we just thank you. Lord, mm -hmm. uh, I pray for Pastor Mike. He has served you well, and he served us well today. I pray that you would give him safety as he travels back to the Kenosha area. God, thank you for his heart for that part of our state. Uh, to see many churches um, planted where disciples are made. And uh, disciple making is part of the culture of what's happening there. And a gospel-centered disciple making. We pray, God, your blessing on him as he leads. For he and his wife, Beverly, we just pray for their marriage and their adult children. We thank you for, God, your work of grace that you've done. And thank you how he has uh, led us well today. And we pray, God, that what we have invested in today will, will reap dividends for generations to come yeah. and into eternity for your praise and for your glory. We ask these things, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you for how you've challenged us today. Thank you for Mike and, and just the words that you've been giving him to, to really challenge us with. God, when we decided to follow you, there's no turning back because we know we have an eternity with you. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die for us. God, when we leave here, Lord, may you continue to guide and direct us. Give us those moments of intimacy with you and may we share the love that we have from you with those that you've brought into our sphere of influence. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I just got a couple wrap-up comments. April 27th of 2020, our friend Lee Eckloff will be coming. His book, Feels Like Home. We're really excited about having Lee uh, come and speak to us. It'll be a one-day conference again. It's going to be at Cross uh, View Church uh, in Wisconsin Rapids. So we're excited about that, and uh, we look forward to that. Well, God bless you all, and we're going to send you on your way. Uh, may you uh, feel God's presence as you leave this place today. 